So the reading today is Hebrews 10, verses 11 to 22. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. When there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any suffering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Please do keep the the Bible open in front of you. Let me add my welcome to Chalmers this morning. It's very good to see you. And particularly if you are here after one of the events weeks um, uh, the Christian unions were running this week. You're very, very welcome. And I hope this message will be of particular interest to you. We're going to think this morning about something that Christianity offers uniquely. Total and full forgiveness that's fully paid for. That's our question today. There's an outline on the back. Um, let's use the lectern and not the, not the headset. Um, there's an outline on the back, and the question at the top is, can I really be sure today that God has fully forgiven me? Let me pray for God's help as we turn to his word. Let's pray. Our Father, there are few questions in life and no questions in eternity more important than this question. Can I be sure I'm forgiven? And so we pray with everything else on our minds and our hearts this morning, we pray you would help us to hear your word, help me to be faithful to it, and all of us to listen and understand and believe what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's our question. Can I be really sure today that God has fully forgiven me. Is it possible right now to have the reassurance of a clear conscience? Now, those of us who've been around Christian circles for a while may have heard the expression, now and not yet. We say that about lots of blessings in the Christian life. They're kind of now, a bit now, and also they're not yet. There's more to come. The now, because Jesus came once already, And on the cross did all sorts of amazing things for us. And so there's a lot we experience now. But Jesus is going to come back. The job isn't finished. There's more to come. 
And so lots of blessings are not yet until he comes back. Let me give you some examples. Is it good to be part of a church family, to be part of God's people? Yes. I mean, now it's an amazing blessing to gather, to see each other. I hope your answer is yes. <laughs> it's an amazing blessing to, to gather and all sorts of different people from different walks of life becoming one family through Jesus. It's good. It's good. Actually, for some here this morning, the answer may have been, it's quite hard, actually. Because we are still sinful. We still struggle to love each other really well. There are difficulties and hurts that need to be forgiven or or we need to bear with in any church family at the moment. One day, that's all going to be put right. One day, we're going to gather around Jesus' throne, all tribes and tongues, uh, in this amazing new creation, the home of righteousness. There'll be no more sin, no more tears, no more suffering. That is the future of the church, and going to church then will be unmitigated joy. Right now, it's a mixture, isn't it? There's a now and a not yet. Likewise, when it comes to knowing God, right now, for those who trust in Jesus, we have a living relationship with the living God. Uh, Many yesterday were hearing at the women's conference that right now we know Jesus. We really know him, and so we have all we need to grow, knowing him and his promises. But of course, there's more to know about him. It's It's an ongoing process. And Paul says, right now we see dimly but then we'll see face to face as a now and a not yet. I could go on and on and on. Uh, Jesus, is he king of the world right now? Well, yeah, in one sense he is. He's already enthroned. God's given him the position of Lord of lords and king of kings. Christians treat him like that. He's the boss. He's the king. Actually, loads of people totally ignore him and think they can get away with it. Because there's a not yet to his rule. He hasn't come to judge the living and the dead like he's promised in the Bible. It's even there in verse 13, isn't it? Of our passage, verse 13. He's waiting until enemies are made a footstool. And I could go on with other examples. Do we have the Spirit right now? Yes, we have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. But does that mean we automatically always do the right thing? No, there's an ongoing battle. We still have sinful natures. There's a now and a not yet. Now, there are so many now and not yet that if you have been a Christian for a while, you can start to think, oh, yeah, I know the answer. It's always now and not yet. It's always, well, we've got a bit of that, but there's loads more to come when Jesus returns. That's not always true. Not every blessing God gives us is a now and not yet blessing. In fact, one of the most important blessings God gives us is now. 100% now. Fully, completely available now, today. And that blessing is forgiveness. In Hebrews, much of the book is pointing us to the future. It's saying, you're not home yet, so keep going. Keep enduring, keep going through the journey to get to God's promised rest, this wonderful um, eternity that he has planned. Lots of it is future-focused. But the last few chapters, Hebrews 8 to 10, has been about what we have now. This amazing new covenant relationship we have now that Jesus has already achieved once for all, 100%, by his first coming, by his dying on the cross. Now, in a moment, we're going to look through our passage in detail to see, to see two 
things that can prove to us forgiveness is done and dusted, that we have it 100% now. But just before we do dive in, I want to acknowledge that this is an area, I think, where some of us will need persuasion from God that we're really forgiven. In conversations I've had with people, and to be honest, I've had with myself, it strikes me this is an area where many of us live a sub-Christian experience. That is, we struggle to take hold of what Jesus has already secured for us. Let me give you three examples of that. Firstly, for some of us, there is one particular sin in the past, one particular day, something you've done or something you've said, something you've done to someone or with someone. And you look back on it with such horror, it still haunts you. You've confessed it to God, you've asked for forgiveness through Jesus, but that doubt and shame nags away. How could God have forgiven me for that? For something that awful? How could his forgiveness reach that deep? I can't even forgive myself. That's the first case. For others, it's repetition of sin, the repeating sin that we keep falling into again and again. And perhaps you feel like, well, there must have, surely at some point I must run out of fresh starts. Again, this would be somewhere where you're confessing it to God, you're praying for forgiveness, genuinely battling to change and turn away from that sin. But you assume his patience must now be wearing thin. Surely God's forgiveness can't reach that long, that far. Others of us live generally under a kind of general cloud of feeling we just cannot be worthy enough for God. There can be lots of reasons for that. Um, circumstantial, historical, family reasons, health reasons. But some of us will actually feel it's because of what we know about God and ourselves. We know God is perfect and pure and holy, and we know ourselves and our mess and our ongoing imperfection. And so we feel emotionally, surely no amount of cleansing or forgiveness could really make me right enough for God. As we imagine God, our Heavenly Father, what expression would be on his face? Or for this kind of person, not smiling, but always a note of disappointment. Not glad to see us come into his presence, perhaps even disgusted. Now, if any of those feelings resonate with you, please would you tune in closely to Hebrews 10, 11 to 18, because God wants us to be in no doubt that 100% forgiveness, complete and full forgiveness, is entirely ours today, right now. Not when we meet Jesus face to face or when we die or at his return. No, not when we're finally changed to live like him in all ways, when our sinful nature is taken away. I mean, I long for that day, but forgiveness happens not on that day, but is available as a now blessing. If you're not a Christian, you're listening in. As I said at the start, this is one of the most extraordinary things on offer in the good news of Jesus Christ. If we are Christians, this may be an area for some of us where we need to 
live by faith, that is, take God at his word when he says, I've forgiven it all, I've forgotten it all. So let's get into our two points. Uh, we're going to do two points, and if I've left enough time, which I didn't at the 9.30, if I leave enough time, we'll do a bit of recap on Hebrews. Um, partly because we're, we're having a two-week break after this in the mornings. Um, well, for half term, we'll, we'll study something else, and then we'll be back to Hebrews. So now's the time, if we get a moment, to, to kind of review. We'll see how we do. So point one, let's get into it. The sitting of Jesus proves it. The cross perfectly purifies us for God's service once for all. It's a bit of a mouthful. I'm sorry it's so long, but um, each word matters. The sitting of Jesus proves it. The cross perfectly purifies us for God's service once for all. Now, at first sight, sitting down might seem like a fairly innocuous activity. Kind of not a big marker proving categorically that full forgiveness is available to us. Um, But actually, if you think about it, there are some scenarios when someone sits down and it is significant. Um, The famous chef sits down, and you know that the dinner service must have been completed. The elite athlete sits down, you know the race is over. The newly married couple on a wedding day sit down together. You think, oh, they must have sealed the deal now. In Hebrews, we're not in the the world of, of food or marathons or marriage. We're in the world of the priests, these mediators between a holy God and an unholy people. And so here, the fact that Jesus has sat down Well, it's extraordinary because it's something the Old Testament priests were never able to do. Just look at verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. In Israel, the priests were always on their feet, Each day there were were more sacrifices to do. And when they went into the holy places, the the tabernacle, the tent, um, there were always sacrifices and duties to be busy with. Um, So a few weeks ago in the evening, we we did a a, a video fly-through of that tent, the the holy place, the tabernacle. You can go back and watch it uh, on YouTube uh, if you want to. Um, But but as we went through the, the tent, the holy place that God had set up, and into the most holy place... There were lots of bits of furniture that God had said to have there, a lampstand, some bread, an altar of incense. But there was one bit of furniture conspicuously absent. There's no seating. No seats. Why were there no seats? Well, because the priest's job was never done. Always on their feet. Always something more to do. And actually, it wouldn't have been safe for them to hang around, especially in the most holy place where God's presence was behind that curtain. The high priest popped in once a year briefly to make atonement, to offer the sacrifice, and then get out um, quickly afterwards. There was no hanging around in God's holy presence. But now Jesus, verse 12, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. The point is that Jesus has entered right into God's presence on our behalf and now he gets to stay there, representing us, interceding for us. Notice though, he's not popping up and down, 
kind of, oh, I need to I need to cover that sin. Oh, they've stuffed up again. I need to cover that sin. No, look at how verse 14 puts it. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Such a contrast to where chapter 10 began. Um, last week, we looked at the start of chapter 10. The animal sacrifices were always being done over and over again. They were a shadow of the solution. That is, they had the same shape, uh, the shape of a substitute, someone swapping into our place, the shape of death, someone paying a price for the wrong we've done. They had the shape, but they could never be enough. They weren't the reality, just a shadow. Because they weren't a like-for-like substitute. They were never enough for a spiritual deep clean. And the way you knew they weren't enough was the repetition. 10 verse 4 puts it like this. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And you knew that, verse 3, because there was repetition every year. Always more to do. Continual top-ups were necessary to keep paying for the sin. Then Jesus came. This Jesus who we heard last week came as a different kind of priest with a different kind of offering. He didn't say, here's some animal blood, will that do? He said, here I am. An unblemished, obedient life. A substitute death in our place. He lived the life we should have. He died the death we deserved. And it worked. That's why he sat down, because it worked. That's why he says on the cross, it is finished, because it was. Fully, completely, for all time, worked. We've had a few um, once-for-alls in Hebrews. Uh, Jesus' death is once-for-all in lots of senses. It's one death for all types of people. doesn't matter your background. You're welcome to find forgiveness in Jesus. It's once-for-all in the sense it covers all types of sin. doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus paid for it. But this once-for-all in chapter 10 is once-for-all time. Just look at verse 12. When Jesus had offered for-all-time a single sacrifice for sins. Or verse 14, he's perfected for all time those being sanctified. All time means all time, as in backwards in time and forwards in time. So backwards in time, Jesus' death paid for all of Israel's sins. We heard that back in chapter 9, verse 15, and we won't read it now, but Jesus' death paid for all of their breaking of God's law. It worked backwards. It's as if Israel, with every animal, had paid an IOU note. I owe you, God. I owe you. I owe you. And so on. And Jesus turned up and said, I'll pick them up and I'll pay them. All time backwards. But it's also all times forwards. Verse 12 again. When Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down. Verse 14. For a single offering he perfected for all time those being sanctified. That is forwards through history and actually in our lives, backwards and forwards. It's not that Jesus pays for the the, the ways we've wronged God before we become a Christian, but then we're on our own. No, his death pays for all time, single offering, total forgiveness. I wonder if we realize how momentous that actually is. Let's think what it means to those three kinds of people I mentioned at the start. 
We may well feel there's a moment in our past that simply cannot be airbrushed away, that just can't be forgiven. Yeah, sure, God can cover the other sin in my life, but that moment, that day, it it simply can't be forgotten or forgiven. God says Jesus' sacrifice was once for all time. That is, it covers every day of sin of his people, even the worst days on our records. And his sitting down proves it. Notice verse 4, the effect it's had on us. It's not that he's begun to clean the muck away. It's not that he leaves us a little better than we started. Look at verse 14. By a single offering, he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What about the person who's battling a repeated sin? feels like they've come to the point where they've run out of grace, that they've exhausted the forgiveness on offer. We may know, of course, it's not two strikes and you're out, but how many strikes is it? Verse 14, by a single offering, he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What about the person who feels continually unworthy? It feels like if, if anyone else at church knew what I was really like in here, well, they would think I wouldn't belong. It feels like all their service of God is filthy rags. Well, to, to help that feeling, I think we need to understand what the word sanctified means. I've, I've been grappling on this for a few weeks, actually, Sanctified, it's one of those words we hear the Bible use and we're like, oh yeah, sanctified, yeah, 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 I know that. And then when you're asked to actually think, how do I explain that? You suddenly realize, oh, I don't, I don't really know what that is. Uh, last week I said sanctification was holyification, as in making us holy. And that's true. Problem is, then you're asking, what does holy mean? <laughs> okay, you're making us holy, but what does holy mean? Well, here we go, I'll try and explain it. This is where I've got to. To be holy is to be set apart So to be sanctified, it's about being consecrated or set apart or dedicated, in this case, to God's service. It's about being set apart for that particular use. So let me give you some illustrations. In in some houses, there's special cutlery. It only comes out for the guests. It's holy cutlery. It's set apart cutlery. It's dedicated, consecrated to the special hosting activity. Many of us don't have two sets of cutlery. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's bring it down uh, a few notches on the social demographic scale. Um, think about the humble toothbrush. Okay, Almost all of our bathrooms have more than one kind of brush. Toothbrush, maybe a hairbrush, nail brush, if you're into hygiene. Definitely toilet brush. Now the toothbrush, quite rightly, is set apart. It's holy, it's sanctified, it's consecrated for one task and one task only. It's dedicated to the service of our teeth. And obviously it would be a disaster if, you, if, it, if something else got used. Now in a far more serious way, that was what it was like in the Old Covenant. There were priests, people who were set apart for the purpose of approaching God. There was a tent which was set apart for the purpose of approaching God. There was furniture and furnishings all dedicated, set apart, consecrated, sanctified. In fact, the whole nation 
was supposed to be set apart. It was supposed to be kind of devoted to God, dedicated to his service, a kingdom of priests. Now here's the problem. Whether with God's people or humanity generally, we're supposed to be made for God's service, made to love him, made to love others. But we have done with our lives what I've done to a number of toothbrushes over the years. A toothbrush is designed for teeth cleaning. It should be set apart for that purpose. In my household, I've used some of our toothbrushes for cleaning my bike. If they're actually really good. They get right in the chain <laughs> and in between the, the gears and the cogs. Needless to say, doing that makes them dirty. Filthy, actually. Oily, messy. Once a toothbrush has touched the chain of a bike, there's no way back. There's no way you could kind of rededicate that to the service of teeth. The, the kind of sanctified service is over forever. You can wash it, you can soap it, it's never coming back. Much more seriously than toothbrushes, that is the predicament that human beings are in with God. Made for his service, supposed to be dedicated to love of him and others, but we've all rejected that. We've all decided we fancy the muck of sin. We'd rather put our lives to another use. And we have become morally and spiritually filthy. Right down in the bristles. Right down in a way where it looks and feels like we could never be clean. The reality is actually, even if you're not a Christian, lots of people have a sense of that deep down. Actually, we're not completely clean. In our society at the moment, we're, we're trying to find a million ways to say it's okay, that the God's standards maybe don't matter, or you can choose your own standard, you can ignore God's word. We're trying to say that the highest value of human living is to be authentic to how you feel. If that feels good to you, go for it. The Bible says... True human authenticity is living the way we're made. And to do something different is to live against the shape of reality and against the call of our God-given consciences. And you can only keep that going for so long. That kind of moral denial, what God says doesn't matter, that kind of psychological suppression, I don't really feel guilty, it is no way to lasting peace even in this life, let alone in eternity. The reality is we are deeply contaminated with our sin. We need forgiveness, not just affirmation that it wasn't that bad. We need forgiveness, because it was. Now, sometimes even Christians who have trusted in Jesus for forgiveness wrongly believe there's no way back to that kind of dedicated, pure, perfect, clean service of God. But look at verse 10. This is where we ended last week, verse 10. By God's will, we have been sanctified 
through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. As Jesus offered his unblemished life, his his sparklingly pure, spotlessly obedient, unstained, perfect life, we have now been purified, cleansed, rededicated to service of God, sanctified. Or verse 13 puts it like this, for by a sing, sorry, 14, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The cross made us perfect in God's sight for all time. And verse 14 is striking, isn't it? Because there is this sense that we're still work in progress. We're being sanctified. That is, on the ground, there's still progress to make. Like We don't live perfectly. Every Christian would admit that. As Hebrews goes on in chapter 12 and 13, it's going to encourage us to, to pursue holiness and to, to grow in our service of God in every area. We're not the finished article. Of course we're not. But in terms of our status before God, in terms of our position in his sight, we are not half clean. We're not slightly decontaminated. Like the bike soiled toothbrush when I've really tried to wipe it with some kitchen roll and and, and soap. In God's sight, we're perfect. Right down in the bristles. No longer stained or filthy. Entirely suitable for his service. What this is saying, literally saying, is if you're a Christian here this morning, whether you've been one for a day or decades, we are cleaner in God's sight than the most holy priest of the old system. The high priest who washed so carefully and and did so many sacrifices and rituals to get themselves ready to enter God's holy presence. A Christian is more clean than that. We know we are because the curtain is gone. They still needed the, sacred, the safety barrier. But we, when we get to verse 19, next uh, three weeks' time, we can approach with confidence, enter the most holy place. Christians, I wonder if we realize what we have now. A hundred percent now. Totally forgiven. In fact, a fullness of forgiveness that qualifies us for service of God consecrates us, makes us holy and pure in his sight, makes our offerings, weak and limp as they are, acceptable to him. The smile on his face. Now that may lead to all sorts of questions. One very practical question, I guess, might be, if it's all forgiven, do I still need to say sorry? Do we need to confess our sins if it's all been paid for? I'll I'll try and answer that. It's a good question. I'll try and answer that in a few minutes. Um, But actually, the first question we might have in our minds, or particularly the person who is carrying around guilt or shame for a particular thing, the first question might still be, is that really true? Can I be sure? Sure, Jesus has sat down, but does that really mean that I am completely forgiven? And so out of God's kindness, our last few verses, verses 15 to 18, gives us yet another proof of why we can trust this. Um, Look at verse 15. This is our second point. The Holy Spirit says it as well. The Holy Spirit bears witness to us 
That's striking. If you were going to get the Holy Spirit to bear witness that we're definitely forgiven, we might think, oh, that will be some kind of sense of peace in our hearts, some kind of subjective feeling that things are okay. Um, There's promises like that elsewhere. But here, the Holy Spirit bears witness to us with Scripture. Hebrews is sure that, that all of the Old Testament was breathed out by God. And so he quotes from Jeremiah 31 as the Spirit's words to us today. Uh, We had the testimony of Jesus last time, back in verses 5 to 7. Now we've got the testimony of the Holy Spirit, quoting Jeremiah 31, the promise of the new covenants. Here's his testimony. Verse 16. This is the covenant I'll make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Now, we've heard this quote before. It was back in chapter 8 at the start of this little mini section about the new covenant. But the focus here is particularly on that forgiveness. Verse 17, then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. The huge foundational blessing of the new covenant, which Jesus has started, and that we as Christians live inside what we do when we gather like we will tonight to celebrate the lord's supper this is the blood of the new covenant which has already been poured out for you the foundational blessing is this i will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more so when we're full of for some of us self-loathing a particular battle with sin that's ongoing when we catch ourselves saying or doing something that's so full of the old pride or selfishness or anger or lust that we thought we'd got a handle on, when memories come up and we beat ourselves up, when we're tempted to try and self-atone by, I don't know, putting greater effort into our serving or wallowing around and being miserable for a few days or saying sorry to God again and again and again as if that's what fixes it or saying sorry to other people Uh, again and again and again, rather than just once. Well, I think we have a straight choice about who we believe. Are we going to believe the Holy Spirit who says, I'll remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more? Or do we believe our own heads or feelings or the voices around us or our background and history that says you've never done enough? If you're not a Christian, this full forgiveness is probably the biggest thing you're missing out on. If we are a Christian, it may be some of us need to pray, perhaps for the first time, perhaps freshly again, pray that we would take God at his word on this area. We often talk about living by faith. Hebrews 11 is going to talk all about that. There's faith in the future promises. There's faith in other things God says, but there's also living by faith in this promise that is all paid for. Let's not live a sub, excuse me, a sub-Christian experience. And let me say, if you are someone who's racked with guilt or shame, it, it would be really good to chat to someone about that, a trusted Christian friend or, or a small group leader or one of the elders here. Sometimes we can deeply struggle to forgive ourselves or believe God has forgiven us. 
but it has been paid for. It is objectively true. Our time is nearly up. I've been saying as we've gone through Hebrews 8 to 10, I wonder if we realize how good we have it as Christians in this new covenant. I wonder if we realize how good we have it. Jesus has given a greater offering than all those animal sacrifices. Jesus is a greater priest than all those human priests. And so Jesus has opened greater access to God. Uh, a greater confidence in forgiveness, a clear conscience that means we can approach God's throne of grace. And so, of course, it's no surprise that verses 19 onwards speak about, verse 22, drawing near with a true heart of full assurance. Or verse 23, holding fast our confession. The way is open, so make use of it, he says, draw near. Jesus has opened the way, so hold on to him. It's the only way, however costly it is to live as a Christian in this world. Now, much more on those, um, on those responses in three weeks' time when we come back to Hebrews. Um, but I will just take two minutes, our last two minutes, um, to step back and see the flow of Hebrews so far. Under this kind of heading, do we realize how good we have it? Uh, Hebrews as a book is trying to keep us going and um, I'll put some pictures up sorry you can't see that one but you have need of endurance that says Hebrews is a book trying to help us endure as Christians knowing it's not always easy and the key way to keep going in the Christian life is to consider Jesus he's greater greater than we think of him um, greater than anything that's come before there's one particular thing about Jesus that the book keeps coming back to he is the son seated at God's right hand so when the Hebrew says, consider Jesus, it, he wants us to consider Jesus right now. Where is Jesus right now? Seated at God's right hand in the throne room of heaven. Now, there's lots of significance to that statement. As the son, he's God's king, ultimate king. Uh, so at the start of the book, he's the king who has spoken to us. And if that voice has said, I can offer you full forgiveness, it's worth trusting. He's the king speaker, the ultimate revelation from God. He's also the king priest. This is the section we've been on in at the moment, chapters 5 to 10. He's our representative to God and the ultimate one, better than anything that came before. And there's one big truth about him still to come, which we'll get to soon, the king judge. It was trailered in verse 13 of our passage. We'll get much more on it as we go on in the book. What does that mean? Well, that king has now sat enthroned at God's right hand which means we have ultimate access to God. He's already enthroned with God. And that means our atonement, that the making us right with God is fully complete. Job done. That's today's passage. Job done. And we're just awaiting his return now. That's what Hebrews has been saying to us about the Lord Jesus. Um, and I hope it has been lifting our gaze. Even if you're not a Christian, I hope that tells you just how big some of the things we believe about Jesus is. And it's well worth asking, can I actually trust that? Is there any reason to take him that seriously? Um, another picture. Uh, I'm basically going to say the same thing in a different shape. So Jesus, right now, is sat at God's right hand. That's where Hebrews wants us to lift our eyes. He's the ultimate king, and he's already enthroned. He's the eternal priest. That's what we've been looking at recently. And that means atonement is complete. 
and we're about to get to. He's the conquering judge, and we're, we're awaiting his return. Or one more time, saying, oh, sorry, so applications, listen to him, keep confidence in him, and uh, keep trusting his promise. We'll get to that in Hebrews 11. Final, final picture, same truths, but just a different shape, because I know for some people it helps to see it a different way. In terms of the flow of the book, we've seen that. So Jesus is this great speaker. That's where we started the book. He's greater than all the other speakers, the prophets, the angels, the, the Moses himself. And he declares this great salvation. We have it on good authority that forgiveness is available. Jesus, the great speaker. Then we had uh, Jesus is a, a brother to us. He's come down below the angels um, to, to, to provide salvation. And um, I'll talk more about that when we have a review in our small groups later on. Then we had a big warning not to harden our hearts to God's voice. If Jesus is this great speaker offering great salvation, well, don't harden your hearts to that offer. And now, uh, we'll get to living by faith, that matches it. But right now, we're in the big central section. Jesus is your perfect priest. Uh, He's better than all the other priests, Aaron, animal sacrifices, earthly tents, priests, Levi's, the old covenant. Better than all of that. Uh, Chapters 5 to 7, he's properly appointed by God's oath. And now, the bit we're in here, he secures this better relationship, a better covenant. And so as we go into half term next week, if there's one thing I hope is ringing in our hearts from Hebrews, it is how good we have it because of Jesus, this great priest. We have this great king priest who's in heaven, enthroned for us. And that means we can approach God with real confidence, knowing we're completely washed clean. I didn't used to be very excited about sanctification. I didn't really know what the word meant. Now I know it's that we are completely purified so we can be devoted to God's service in a way that he's pleased with because of his full forgiveness. He doesn't even remember what you've done. There's a thought. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he didn't just sit in glory, but came down to help us. We thank you where animal sacrifices and all of our efforts to try and make things right with you cannot make us clean. We thank you that Jesus, offering his unblemished life in our place, dying that death on the cross, we thank you that that is enough once for all time and all of our lives. We pray for folk here who still feel trapped by memories, guilt, shame of things they have confessed to you and and asked for forgiveness for. We pray very much that you would help them to believe your promises. Pray for those of us who haven't turned from sin that you would help us to take it seriously, to turn back to you and to pray for forgiveness. And we pray for anyone here who doesn't yet know what it is to know this Jesus. We pray very much that you would help them 
and to see the huge blessings he provides. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.